You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Who do I view as the top 10 players in this upcoming NBA Draft? Find out next. You are locked on the NBA Draft. It is a Wednesday morning, and yes, it is me, your host. It is Sam Ferris. I'm excited today to finally review the guys that I have listed personally as my top 10 players on my board as of what is today, December 15th, 2021. We're about, you know, between 10 and 12 games into the season, depending on the college team. So we've got a bit of a rough draft in terms of, you know, our view of these players. We've got a decent feel for them. I had a little bit of a tough time ranking these guys, especially after the top four. This class is a little bit weak. I would say between like five and 12, um, specifically when kind of looking at how I'm ranking these guys. Um, and obviously it's a it's a 30 minute show today. So I'm going to give kind of an interesting tidbit or thought or stat on each one of these guys. But just pretty quickly as we go through, I want to have time to unveil each of the 10 guys today. But first, thank you for making the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast your first listen today. And hopefully that is the case every day. Today's title sponsor of this episode is Truebill. This episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions you do not want or need, and you can even negotiate better deals on those you want to keep. You can follow me also at DraftDummies on Twitter. Like I always say, I'm constantly there posting stats, my thoughts, and clips, both of prospects and of the young guys in the NBA. I love watching and following both, like I'm sure most all of you do as well. And the way I like to do this, and the way I usually like to structure the shows is kind of put, to me, the more interesting segments first. And you would think that would be to start at the top, but actually the way that I'm going to do this is I'm going to count down because I do think the bottom half of the top five is a little more interesting to me because that's where you see a bit of the diversity from person to person, from analyst to analyst in terms of, we kind of know who the top three guys are, right? But I think a lot of people have differing views when it comes to the latter half of the top 10 here. So I'm gonna count down and we're gonna start at number 10. The guy that I have there is Benedict Matherin out of the University of Arizona. I had a chance to play or to see him play live on a couple of occasions this season. And I'll start with my view on him is I do not view him as an on-ball guy in the NBA. I know a lot of people are concerned about, you know, is this guy like a secondary ball handler in the NBA? Is he like a combo guard? To me, that's not really how I see him. I see him more uh, as an off-ball two-way wing that is a very good catch and shoot guy and also very good running off screens and shooting too which is somewhere he's continued to improve and to me has been one of the things that stood out about him so 
just the combination of the shooting ability, especially the ability to shoot off of movement with his physical tools, right? At like 6'6", six, six, maybe 6'7", six, with very good explosiveness. That to me is just a very interesting package. A guy that just on paper should work that, you know, most every NBA team can use almost as a plug and plug plug and play guy, but with some upside too with that athleticism and maybe some of the on-ball ball handling stuff does hit, but that's just not really what I'm baking into my evaluation too much. All right, at number nine, I have Kennedy Chandler out of the University of Tennessee. He has been a guy that I've been very interested by. Uh, I've been tweeting about him lately, just going through a lot of stats, a lot of film work on him because I was a little... I was a little hesitant on him coming into the season. He's been a very productive guy, right? Everywhere he's gone, both at Sunrise Christian, then he played for the FIBA youth team at the World Cup this past summer. He's just always productive. But on the other end of the spectrum, he is only six feet tall, and it's an uphill battle for guys that small. There's just a large supply of very good six-foot guards, whether it's in college or overseas so it can be harder for those guys but just with his production his skill level but also the athleticism the physical tools obviously apart from the size at six feet apart from that his physical tools again at that size are about as good as you're gonna find starting with the strength like he is a bulldog just a very strong kind of thicker build like almost in the vein of like a Chris Paul type. But then he combines that with good quickness and shiftiness, which you get when you're that low to the ground, when you've got a very low center of gravity. But also he does have a very good vertical. I posted some clips the other day where, uh, which game was it? I think it was, it was Tennessee Tech is who it was. So not a great opponent, but there were two very similar plays where he got like uh, strip steals that he turned into pick sixes where it was just a run out for him. And, and that was a good chance to be able to see his open court athleticism and put down two really nice dunks, which you don't see that often out of guys that are six feet tall. I've talked also about his block and steal rates really reassure me because those the numbers that he's put up right now are as good, again, as you're going to see from a guy that size. And just a lot of the film pops. The question with him, almost similar to what we had with Sharif Cooper last year, is when defenders go under that screen in the pick and roll or just kind of lag off him and, and give him the three-point shot, is he going to be able to hit that consistently enough? That is the question with him moving forward. And again, I'm going to repeat this a few times. In the average draft, I don't think I would view Matherin or Chandler as like the ninth or 10th best prospect. Again, on average, in the average draft, I'd view them more as late lottery prospects. But to me, this portion of the draft, again, is a little bit weaker. But to me, that makes it more fun. And also, I do want to point out that there are going to be guys that hit. There are going to be guys somewhere in this draft that do return that value. You just have to be able to find them. Okay, so coming up next, I'm going to reveal the next few guys on my board. But first, let's get into a break and hear from a few of our sponsors. All right, the first sponsor today is Stance Socks. 
that they're a new sponsor for me, but I think all of us have probably tried Stance Socks before. I have, I've kind of always picked them out because of the different designs, right? Like I have some Jerry West Stance Socks. Uh, we've all seen the different designs, but they're also very comfy too. And they also tend to really last longer. So look, Stance Socks, they were founded in 2009 and they represented kind of a radical reinvention of socks, underwear and other active apparel, but specifically with a focus on comfort, quality, and also that creativity. So they tend to bring an atypical aesthetic alongside some of pop culture's hottest collaborators for the ultimate in both style and self-expression because everything you wear should be a direct extension of who you are and how you feel. So Stance believes that that perfect fit matters more than fitting in. Go see for yourself. Register for an account at stance.com and you can get 15% off your first purchase by using promo code locked on at checkout to apply. All right, we went through number 10, which was Benedict Matherin from the University of Arizona, and number nine, which was Kennedy Chandler, the six foot point guard out of Tennessee. Again, this is my personal big board, not a mock draft, not like a consensus board. This is my personal opinion. At number eight, I have the, the wing out of the University of Baylor. I have Kendall Brown there. I've talked about him a couple times, so I'm not going to go too in-depth today. But the thing that, and I, I liked him a lot coming in, I will say I had him listed, and I talked about this a few weeks ago on the show when I revisited the guys that I was higher on than the consensus coming in. One of those guys was Kendall Brown. And the reason that I, I was higher on him was obviously the defense, obviously the physical tools. Those are things you can't necessarily teach. But also, I think I thought his ancillary skills offensively were underrated, specifically the ball handling and the decision making. And to me, that's what separates him from most wings, because in every draft you can find in the second round six, eight athletes that had solid college careers. But those guys don't tend to have both the ability to dribble and to pass and just that feel for the game. The phrase that I like to use with him is he just understands the flow or the rhythm of the game of basketball. So whether it's kind of more advanced passes or just the simple play where he keeps the offense running, keeps it moving smoothly, he just understands how to be a little bit of that grease guy offensively. Similar kind of to like a guy in Franz Wagner that I talked about last year where the skill level isn't insane. The scoring numbers aren't going to blow you away, but he just tends to help an offense run smoothly and also like Wagner, but in a little bit of a different way. He is a very good defensive player as well. Okay, so that was Kendall Brown out of Baylor. Moving up to number seven, and this one may surprise you, it may not, but I've got Johnny Davis, the six foot five guard out of the University of Wisconsin. Another guy that I have to give myself the pat on the back here. Outside of Matherin and Ivy, he was the he and Keegan Murray were the two returning college players I talked about the most as guys that I thought would improve their stock this season, both 
in the lens of just being a really good college player in their standing in college basketball, but also in this draft cycle, I had him as like a late first round pick. I was about as high on him as anyone. And still he has obviously surprised me because I moved him all the way up to number seven on my board, top half of the lottery there. So yes, I was high on anyone and I've still been blown away. Uh, The line that I want to share with on him is when it comes to guards, the things that you want to see from them is number one, you want to see them have the ability to create easy shots for themselves to make it look easy. Just that ability to create efficient offense. But also number two, you want to see them have the ability that when it's necessary, when it gets bogged down or late in shot clock, you know, those top guards have the ability to both create and make difficult shots. You know, we talk about tough shot takers, tough shot makers. Johnny Davis has been both of that because of his very good athleticism, because of his size, and he just has that knack. We've seen him get to the rim. We've seen him make it look easy at times this year, but his whole statistical profile is pretty, it's just pretty ridiculous all around the season. The level to which he's improved, his usage rate has increased by 13.5%. The assist rate has doubled, and the turnover rate, on the other hand, has gone down. He's still maintaining ridiculous stock numbers. Well, that might be overstating it slightly, but very, very good. 2.2% block rate, 2.8% steal rate. But getting back to the tough shot making, he's taking a bunch of long twos that he's creating all by himself. Looking at the actual numbers, he's taken 65 long twos. 89% of those were unassisted, meaning he's just creating shots and making them at a 40% clip, which is really good in college basketball. Those numbers hold up. They're very good compared to most other prospects. So he's taken big steps everywhere. He's not necessarily probably the greatest, you know, playmaker creator for others, but We can't really nitpick again at this point in the draft. If you're talking about a 6'5 guard that can shoot it, that can score it, and that can play defense at a high level, just that versatility and that ability to fit in different lineups, you know, plus the shot making I talked about. That's why I personally have Johnny Davis at number seven. And I don't know if I just love him as a prospect. So I don't know. Maybe that can be a blind spot for me and having him too high. Part of it is just. I'm kind of actively cheering for him extra because I I, I loved him and I, I was very high on his prospects coming into the season, but just his style of play is so fun to watch. And frankly, that Wisconsin team outside of Brad Davison and him is just very average to below average. And he carries that team and also is still really good defensively, in my opinion. That's why I have Johnny Davis at number seven. All right, at number six, And this is where it starts to get even more difficult because, frankly, I had trouble deciding who I wanted to put five and six kind of in this range. I just don't think there's anyone who stands out to me as being the fifth or sixth best prospect, anyone who really merits being ranked that high personally. So I really still do like the top three. And then I'm pretty solid with the guy I have at four. I'll talk about them coming up. But at number six, I have Pat Baldwin Jr., Mr. PBJ, or PB&J, if you want to call him that. Frankly, his play this year for 
Milwaukee, Wisconsin has not merited him being ranked sixth on any board, to be frank. Like his numbers aren't that good. Let me pull them up. He's shooting 43%, no, 48% at the rim, 36% on long twos, and then 33% from threes. Box plus minus of 2.9, effective field goal percentage of 44.7. Just not enough to love. And then like the free throw shooting, 77%, that's fine. Like you'd even want that to be higher. But in the lottery specifically, you're drafting for special. You're drafting for that upside ticket to a potential like top two player on a contending team. And so the flashes are just important. You can you can argue, we can quibble about just how impressive his pre-college sample was. He was a role player for that U.S. Uh, Youth World Cup team. I thought he was fine, depending on the game when he played. You could certainly see why he was ranked where he was. And of course, now he's playing for just a terrible team. In fact, I just looked up the Milwaukee-Wisconsin has the 300 ranked offense right now in college basketball and there it's just been really really ugly at times but again it's the flashes with pat baldwin you'll i've watched all the games because i just want to see has it been as bad as people say and at times it has like he had one spectacular game where he just rained threes and that was 26 points against robert morris He also started the season pretty well against North Dakota and Eastern Kentucky. Like, it hasn't been all bad, but that Robert Morris game where he made, I think, like, um, he made, he was six of six from three. Those are the games that you watch for. But even just the flashes, like against Colorado and against Rhode Island in the last game they played where just the stats weren't good. But there's just that once or twice a game where at six foot nine, he takes this step back three and it is you can just see NBA star there. You can see whether it's Tatum or whether it's Middleton, just that size shot making ability and that smooth high release. It's just so hard to pass up. And so I'm not giving up on him yet. I'm still leaving him at number six. We'll see. Like he doesn't play another good team for the rest of the year and they're certainly not making the tournament. So let's just hope that he plays better and can put up some better numbers against bad teams so we can feel more confident having him here at number six. I'll do my number five guy and then get into our final commercial break after that. But at number five here, so again, to recap, Johnny Davis, seven, Pat Baldwin, six. At number five, I have Jalen Duran out of Uh, the University of Memphis. Some people might be surprised actually to hear that I have him that high. I'm just notably, I just don't quite value bigs as much as some people do, just because there tends to be, again, uh, there's a lot of those guys. There's a lot of guys that can rim run, protect the rim, maybe not at the highest level, but finding that replacement big just hasn't been that difficult in the NBA over the last 10, 15 years. But with him, I'm just very confident in what he can do, which is protect the rim, which is finish with authority inside. And we saw that last night in their upset of the University of Alabama, where just dunk after dunk after dunk around the rim. I'm skeptical about whether he's going to give much else, but if he is just a very solid to hopefully a very good defensive center, plus that rim running, 
there still is a real value in a guy that is just a vertical threat who can just pound lobs like that. So I still value that. I still have him at number five. An interesting stat on him right now is, again, I use the Bart Torvik database like I've talked about. That goes back to 2008. So if you look back over that history, the last, what, 13 years, no big has ever been drafted coming off of a college season where they had over a 25% turnover percentage. And Jalen Duran right now has a turnover percentage just over that at like 25.4%. And so that's a number to keep an eye on. I think that agrees with what I've seen on film where just not a very quick processor of the game has trouble making quick decisions. And for a guy that doesn't have as difficult of reads, right? He's the five, he's rim running or he's like doing DHOs or just getting the ball on the roll. You do not want to see a turnover rate that high. You know, we talk about how you use analytics in projecting guys, in evaluating guys. One of the main things is when you look back over history, there are just, there are certain red flag areas where in this case, if a, if a big post, a turnover percentage that high over the course of a season, that is just a real red flag that they probably, it's just an uphill battle to, in that case, develop the feel and the passing and just the ability to play effectively within an NBA offense outside of just dunking. So that's something that I will certainly keep my eye on is can he start limiting those turnovers? Can he improve that decision-making as the season rolls along? BetOnline has you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues and basketball season is in full swing as well. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code locked on to receive your bonus. Bet online is the fastest and it is also the easiest way to bet all your favorite sports, whether it's basketball, football, NHL, or even UFC. They also do have your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet online where the game starts. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. They sent me a new shipment and I'm excited to get into those. Always excited when they show up at my door. I love them for basically two reasons, the flavor and because they're healthy. I've talked about this every week, but I've never really liked other protein or energy bars before, but just the variety of flavors, whether it's, you know, a fruit flavor like brownie or like raspberry or cherry or the other flavors like cookies and cream that I personally love or peanut butter brownie. They're all also 100% covered in chocolate. And of course, they have, they're healthy. They're good for you. That to me is important if I'm going to eat a protein or energy bar as well. And frankly, we're in the holiday time of year. Why not treat yourself to a treat that is healthy and also tastes fantastic like a built bar? So go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15, and you will get 15% off of your order. Again, that is LOCKED15 for 15% off your order at built.com. All right, let's finish up with the final four, the top four on Sam Ferris here, my, my board as of today. Obviously, this will likely change. The top four here was the guys that I personally felt the most confident in, which is a good thing because, frankly, when you draft at the top, 
you need to hit. That is more important. You can hit on all the friend guys, all the second round guys you possibly can, but in the end, hitting on these all-star ceiling guys at the top of drafts is mostly how you make or break fan franchises, with the exception of obviously a couple guys. So at number four here, let's start with Jaden Ivey out of Purdue. To me, he's the best returning player right now in college. Actually, Johnny Davis honestly is probably outplaying Jaden Ivey right now. But in terms of my projection of them as NBA players, first, you got to start with the things that you cannot teach because you can't teach them. You can't learn them. That's what you need to draft for. And with Jaden Ivey, his explosiveness is nuclear. His speed in a straight line, like there was one play in the last game that I clipped and posted on Twitter. He got he got a screen at half court and got a little runway and there was no stopping him. It was, it was a dunk. For a guard to average basically close to one and a half dunks is pretty impressive like Jaden Ivey is doing, especially <clears throat> for Purdue, a team that, likes to play through guys uh, like Travion Williams and like Zach Eady, slow the ball down, throw it in the post. For him to still be getting to the rim that much and dunking the ball, <clears throat> that much is so impressive. One of my favorite kind of lines with him or things that I like to say is, again, Purdue usually doesn't get out that much in transition, but Jaden Ivey is that rare dude who can just create fast break buckets out of thin air, even off of a made basket. He's just so fast, he'll get to the rim and finish. So on top of that athleticism, that speed, the jumping ability, the most impressive thing in terms of his improvement this year are the passing flashes, especially on the move in transition. As for whether he can be a full-time point guard in the NBA, on-ball guy, I'm not sure. I think it'd certainly be good for him to share ball handling duties or play off of another ball handler <clears throat> at least for the first year or so to see just kind of ease him in but just that improvement there is huge for him because so often last year he would put his head down try to use that speed to get to the rim get lost and turn the ball over but now he's just not limiting himself he's keeping his options open he's feeling the game much better and that's huge for a guard with his speed, his athleticism, but also he's not a huge guy either at like six foot four. So that feel is still very important. But without further ado, let, <clears throat> let's get into the top three guys I have on my board. Starting at number three, I have Chet Holmgren. I'm not going to really add much more today because the last episode, if you go back and listen to last Wednesday's episode, if you have not already, I had Chip Jones, <clears throat> excuse me. I had Chip Jones on my show and we talked exclusively for about 30 to 40 minutes on Chet Holmgren. I thought it was really interesting and a fun conversation. So if you want to hear more about my thoughts and just our thoughts as we dove deep on Chet, go back and listen to last week's episode. But yeah, I've got Chet Holmgren at number three on my board. At number two on my board, I have Jabari Smith, the six foot nine, six foot ten forward out of Auburn. The first thing I will remind you, and that is a bit of a differentiator for me between these guys, is Jabari Smith is a full calendar year younger, even though they're obviously both freshmen right now. He is a year younger than Chet, and just that age difference, the age curve, 
it does tend to make a difference when you look at it. Um, and so that is something that I value in terms of just valuing a prospect. It's kind of like a bit of a tiebreaker right now between Chet and Jabari Smith for me. Again, I was very high on Jabari Smith coming in, pretty much as high as anyone. I had him number four on my board. To me, that was a win for me in projecting him to go that high because most viewed him as like a late lottery guy. But I loved the shooting ability at that size with pretty fluid athleticism. He's just a guy that you could see molding into a very impressive, very valuable player. And it's not too often that you find a guy that can be a potential, whatever the rung below generational is, because generational literally means once in a generation. He might not be that, but he's the rung below that where he is a great shooting prospect. When you combine that with fluid athleticism at six foot nine or six foot 10, so very good size, and just the overall productiveness for a young freshman in the SEC, he's arguably the best player on a very good Auburn team. So just that, again, that combination of size, shooting, fluid athleticism, and already very productive, that's, you just don't find that often. And when, like, oftentimes we talk about the number one swing skill with guys is the jump shot. So with him, it's just so easy to see that fit. They're just, the floor is so high for him, in my opinion. You can, we can, again, quibble if you want about how high his upside is compared to Chet and Paolo. I think his upside is up there, but that's a deeper, more nuanced discussion that I'm sure I will have at a future time with a different guest. But yeah, I've got Jabari Smith out of Auburn, number two. Again, remember, he is a year younger than Chet, and I think six months younger than the guy that I have at number one, which is Paulo Boncaro. I have him at number one. I talked about at the beginning of the year. He's not a lock for me to finish number one on my board, but I would be surprised if he doesn't finish number one. At six foot ten, he was productive pre-college. The pre-college sample was really good. Against the fluid athleticism, the scoring tools, they've all translated. He's been as good as I, I could have expected, really, thus far. When you look at the scoring numbers, again, on long twos, He's creating 75% of his own shots there and making 42.5%, also finishing at the rim really well at 70%. And the all-in-one metrics, the box plus minus numbers, like him as well. I'm also uh, reassured to see the 84% from the free throw line, which is a good indicator. And the, the three-point jumper has been you know, up and down. 33% right now isn't as good as I'd like, but that isn't enough to really turn me off. It's just we don't want to overrate a guy that's six foot ten, that is a fluid athlete, can handle the ball, can shoot, create his own shot. That's what you're looking for offensively. I'll be interested to see and to monitor him defensively throughout the rest of the season and just what kind of defensive prospect he turns into. And which player to me is an interesting thing to think about. Which between Jabari Smith and Paulo Boncaro, who do you guys think would kind of end up would you bet on being the better defender in the NBA? I think a lot of people would lean Jabari Smith, but I'm not really certain that that's the case. So I wish we could also have seen a little bit more of the playmaking thus far, but playing for Duke isn't always necessarily the best environment for college players like we've seen from a couple of these guys over the last few years. So 
Paulo Boncaro is going to be my number one unless something fairly drastic changes. As for how I would rank him compared to a, like your average number one pick, I'd say, yeah, I'd say he is pretty much like your average number one pick, which I think most people would, would rank him slightly lower than that, say he isn't like as good as an average number one pick. I do tend to be a little higher on the top three in this draft than some people are. I think some people are slightly underrating the top of this class. But look, Paulo, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, kind of interesting because they're all above six foot nine, but I really like the top of this class. Again, it's the four through like 10 range that we covered today that to me is a little up in the air and I I view as being a bit weaker. But we got through the top 10. Hit me up on Twitter. Like, where where do you guys differ from me? Who else do you see fitting into maybe the latter end of your top 10? I had fun kind of going through and doing my preliminary rankings, and it'll be interesting to see how much this list changes for me throughout the remainder of the year. But again, you can follow me on dra- on Twitter at Draft Dummies if you don't already. Like I've said a few times, thank you so much for making this show one that you listen to in the morning every day. I really hope that continues to be the case. I'm always happy to chat basketball if you want to DM me or message me or uh, just talk on Twitter. And because you hopefully liked our show, I also think you will enjoy the Locked On Warriors show, which could also be another one that you listen to. Again, on our platform, on our network, the Locked On Network, each team has their own show. The Warriors are my favorite NBA team and have been my family's from the Bay Area. Go ahead and and give them a shot. Listen to them. Make them your second listen after the Locked On NBA draft. Um, But thank you so much for tuning in. I always appreciate talking basketball. Thank you, listeners.